Welcome to Busted Business Bureau. I'm Christian Borky. This podcast is researched, written, and created by me. If you like it and you have a few extra bucks a month, you can throw it my way on patreon.com slash bustedbizbureau. We're presently in the middle of a long season about private military contractors. You don't have to listen to them all in order because the season covers different companies. But this is the third episode in that series. Alternatively, if you're listening as I'm posting them, I just want you to know I appreciate you. Aw. Yeah, a little something. <laughs> So, joining me once again is serial Craigslist roommate finder, Amy Doe. Listen, I stopped, okay? <laughs> I stopped. And joining also is uh, lesbian's biggest fan, Brendan. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny because this it's so, is so true. Cursed. <laughs> Am I this wrong? Is so cursed. <laughs> I, I have been known to be a fan of the lesbians, you're correct. Like a moth to the light, but you are... <laughs> It's kind of astonishing how often it is. <laughs> that was really good. So today's episode is about Kellogg, Brown, and Root, KBR. Mm. What comes into your abstract thoughts when you hear those three words put together, Kellogg, Brown, and Root? I will always think cereal when I hear Kellogg, uh, Root, um, African-American. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what was that one? Wait, did you say root as African? I said root. What was the word? No, it's Kellogg, Brown, and Root. Oh. Did you say root makes you think of African Americans? Yeah, like roots. Okay. <laughs> the docuseries, but brown brown root? Yeah, I was like, okay, so what? Or the Canadian athleisure brand. Ooh. What? Roots? This is, be, this is foreign to me. Yeah, this is news. <laughs> what? Breaking news of Amy Do. <laughs> Do you own any of Roots? Things. I used to. I used to have a shirt with the Roots logo, which is a beaver, which is, yes, in fact, one of my top two favorite animals. The other, which is salmon. Thank you for asking. <laughs> um, and they have really, like, thick sweatpants. If I mm. saw a white person with a Roots t-shirt on, I would laugh. Because, <laughs> <laughs> like, the band, right? <laughs> It's what? Like, it was like a PBS docuseries called Roots, starring oh. LeVar Burton. <laughs> oh my was, god, LeVar Burton, a king. That was like a whole thing about slavery. Oh, we're all speaking very different languages here. <laughs> we, I was thinking about The Roots. Information. <laughs> but yes, that's also a <laughs> black people. Yeah. We're three strands, but we're going to braid, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it's time to braid now. This is going to be the longest intro ever before we get to <laughs> Kellogg, Brown, and Root, but I could not bring myself to cut any of it. So I want to talk about a man. Can we please finally talk about oh, men? Finally. This we is did that last time. <laughs> Wait, <you're> right. <laughs> <laughs> it's time to talk about more men. This is a man I did not know before, but I will probably remember for the rest of my life. This is the incredible story of Don Luce. Have we heard? Nope. And you, Mama, you're about to hear. <laughs> so... Born on a Vermont farm in 1934, Luce simply made agriculture his thang, and he got a master's in it from Cornell University. By 1958, he moved to Vietnam to work with the International Voluntary Service, a U.S. organization providing agricultural and educational aid to Vietnam. It would later become the Peace Corps. Hmm. I know, T. Take the following with a grain of salt, because I got it from HistoryNet.com, but... <laughs> <laughs> Here comes a quote Sus. at you. A quote, for the first month, he studied Vietnamese language with a 15-year-old boy. Much of the instruction transmitted by playing the Vietnamese dice game called Horse. 
By Christmas Eve, Luce was able to appear at a local church and give a simple speech, which he describes as, Hello, my name is Don. I am fine. I am glad to be in Vietnam. Thank you very much. <laughs> His language skills improved as he worked to introduce a higher-yielding strain of sweet potatoes to peasant farmers. Wow. So that's our guy, Mr. Luce. I'm also like, it's so funny to watch you adjust these headphones. <laughs> yeah, I'm currently wearing two pairs of headphones because Amy's re- recording remotely. And I have two, like, very chunky headphones <laughs> like, it looks really uncomfortable. <laughs> I mean, it's actually not that uncomfortable. I'm actually doing amazing. Thank you for asking. Wait, so what year was this? This is 1958. Oh, okay. Okay. So continuing his time in Vietnam, his work was mainly to aid in building schools and, again, optimizing farmland. He really integrated as best as he could into the communities that he was there to serve. It's for this reason that he, along with three other high-ranking IVS members, resigned abruptly, sending an open letter to the U.S. in 1967 demanding an end to the warfare, defoliation, and destruction. The letter outlines that their job is fundamentally opposed now to the U.S.'s intervention in Vietnam. In order for their work to continue, the U.S. has to listen to Vietnamese communities and can't just keep bombing and defoliating the shit out of them. Mm. This warning would not be heeded. So, this is 1967, he resigns. 1969, he publishes a book, and by 1970, he returns to Vietnam to aid in translation for reporters on the ground there. They were mm. you know, doing a bunch of war journalism, and he's, at this mm-hmm. point, he can say more than, hello, my name is Don, thank you very much. Mm. He actually has friends, he knows how to speak the language, he can tell secrets. Ooh. He's, I know. Gossip? <laughs> Literally. So, he gets tapped by Tom Harkin, a future congressperson, to help him verify information that he'd heard, that Tom Harkin heard about. Mm. See, Harkin and a few other Congress people were sent on a trip to investigate torture and abuse in so-called secret prisons. These structures, these prison structures, were built by the French in 1939 to torture political prisoners. And Don Luce is like, hmm, secret prison that's like off, you know, off an offshoot of other existing prisons. I think I know a guy. It's a student of his who had provided him a hand-drawn map. The student was like... I didn't salute the Vietnamese flag or something. I got sent to a prison. I was tortured there for a while. And then I came back. My grandpa was sent to one of those. Really? What? Can you please say more on that? So when my dad and his family were trying to get out for the first time, they drove to Saigon to meet up with a friend of a friend who was like a military official but it turned out that he was actually scamming people, saying, <gasps> yeah, 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 I'll get you out of Vietnam, taking their money and never actually doing anything. What? what? Um, and so they were like, oh, you know, this dude's a scammer. We got to leave. Um, but when they were trying to leave, they got caught. Oh. And they separated out the men from the women and children. And my grandpa was sent to a, quote, re-education camp for about a year until my grandma bribed the right person to get him out. Holy oh. shit. Oh my god. Do you know anything about his time there? No. He doesn't talk about it. Fair enough. I I was just about to say a massive content warning for what is about to follow. Oh god. Because Don Luce did successfully find this secret prison that he was, you know, given a hand-drawn map to go mm. find. Um, so he and these Congress people are investigating the prison. They create a distraction. They wander off course and they find exactly what the student had told Luce tiger cages. No. Does this, is this familiar to anybody? No. 
there's an island. I think it's like an island that, okay, as someone who studied Chinese, I only know like Chinese phonetics. It's spelled mm-hmm. C-O-N-D-A-O, which I'm not sure if you just like say it in English, like Kondao, mm-hmm. um, because Vietnamese, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the island uh, where these tiger cages exist. Again, massive content warning. Just don't listen to this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, tiger cages are holding cells that are below the ground with a grate on top of them. Cramped in these roughly three by nine cages, shackled to the floor, stewing in their own open wounds and feces. What the fuck? These political prisoners were kept with barely enough food and water to stay alive. And the fact that there's grates on top of them allow the prison guards to pour whatever on top of them. Aww. Yeah, it's pretty devastating. One of these prisoners was Don Luce's best friend. Tom Harkin, one of the guys on the trip, as we remember, immediately starts snapping pictures. They got what they needed. They fucked off. Another member of the congressional delegation tried to seize Tom Harkin's photos mm. unsuccessfully, and they were later published in Life magazine. This, of course, added fuel to the already growing fire of anti-war activism worldwide. Now, this was not a U.S. prison. This was a Vietnamese prison. Mark yeah. Ashwell describes this story even further. Quote, Harkin was subsequently fired for not handing over the film of the shocking images he took. Don had his male privileges revoked by the U.S. Embassy in Saigon, and he was put under surveillance by the police before finally being expelled from the country a year later. All for, like, exposing what was going on in these prisons, right? So, this expulsion was accompanied additionally by an attempt on Don's life. Anecdotally... He tells the story like this. He returned to his apartment in Vietnam one day to find that it was broken into, and he noticed something strange. His bed was fully made with the sheets on tight. When he peeled back the sheets, he found a poisonous snake tied to his bed. What? And to this he said, quote, I never made my bed, so I knew something was up. (laughs) (laughs) How do you tie a snake? to something how do you get the snake in the first place and get him to obey you enough to tie him down (laughs) wow what a waste of a skill what you right use a gun (laughs) (laughs) to hold the snake at gunpoint it's less less poetic that way (laughs) (laughs) you have the gun in front of the snake get in the bed (laughs) (laughs) tie yourself up (laughs) so put your hands up (laughs) (laughs) i can't (laughs) Sounds like a you problem. <laughs> Jesus. We'll return to the tiger cages outcry, but first, I want to talk a little bit more about the life of Don Luce. He spent the next 50 years giving anti-war speeches, reflecting on the stark realities he saw in the communities he lived in. Like, one week, he'd be operating a successful sweet potato farm or whatever. The next week, the U.S. just blindly flies over it and defoliates the shit out of it. The week after, the Viet Cong has 10 new members that he knew that you know, from last week. Hmm. Like, desperation, poverty, continued war, continued blasting, drive people right into, quote, the enemy's arms. You know, like, people resist occupation. People resist their farms being destroyed. So that's what Don Luce is observing over and over again. Hmm. His job is to help Vietnamese people, but the more we bomb the shit out of them, the more they're going to hate the U.S. and join the Viet Cong. So, that's kind of the thesis of a lot of speeches that he gives, of just like... Yeah, we tried to do international aid. We couldn't. (laughs) So Luce's insistence on publicly advocating for the people of Vietnam was, to put it mildly and a little offensively, a PR disaster for the U.S. (laughs) An ambassador to South Vietnam credits Luce and Luce alone as the reason that the U.S. lost the war. (laughs) 
which is <laughs> fucking sick. <laughs> Pretty funny. Jeez, Louise. Um, separately, in 1979, he met his future husband, okay. Mark Bonatti. <laughs> let's go. Let's go, homosexuals. <laughs> <laughs> RuPaul boots music. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> Never did I ever expect a pitch perfect RuPaul <laughs> to come out of you. <laughs> That's my favorite part of every episode. Because they always like, whoa, look at this outfit. Crazy. I fucking like, shut up. And it's RuPaul, like, I literally know. in a blue suit and pants. It drives me insane, but I do love it. <laughs> RuPaul gave a talk at my best friend's college, um, and he throw, threw out his, like, script and talked about murder she wrote for 45 minutes and left. <laughs> She's just like me, for real. <laughs> and left. <laughs> I think RuPaul did not have a speech. This is my theory. RuPaul did not have a speech, brought papers yeah. on stage and crumpled them up to, like, seem <laughs> like he was in the Every moment. Every time I've seen, like, a graduation video where someone does that, I'm like, you had to have planned this. Right, there's no way. This is too choreographed. You didn't get overcome by people you don't know graduating. <laughs> I'm sorry. Nobody cares. <laughs> well, I think that the three of us have a really skewed idea of, like, public speaking mm. like it really skews some people out mm. well they're wrong <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a them problem nope. much like a snake they need to grow some arms <laughs> yep be a lizard <laughs> be a lizard so uh mark Bonacci, don luce's husband <laughs> <laughs> the two of them worked in a soup kitchen and enjoyed a 43-year-long stint together. Aww. Don Aww. Don Luce died in November of last year. Ah. And in his obituary, we get this, quote, Over the years, the couple, him and Mark Bonacci, enjoyed many adventures traveling together. In his spare time, Bonacci said Luce enjoyed doing crossword puzzles, putting together traditional tabletop puzzles, two mentions of puzzles, mm. and spending time <laughs> with animals of all kinds, especially dogs. Bonacci added, to his dying day, Don felt bad about having to kill the snake. <laughs> the snake that tried to kill him? Yeah. <laughs> Mama, it's either bit or be bitten. <laughs> Someone should have put Don Luce in Drag Race, so who could have said that to him? <laughs> Diva. I know you have. Oh my god. He would have done an iconic, like, Britney Spears snake look as, like, an unmade bed. It's an unmade bed. Yeah, the dress is the sheets. Yeah. He is the snake. I hope Mark Bonacci never hears about this podcast. Also, I'm very unimpressed by the queens for next season. I'll say it. You should say it. I'll say it. It's facts. A cis woman has just won in. Germany, I think. <laughs> you know, good for her. And, <laughs> I just need more of the girls on there. Yeah. Anyways, that was the life of Don Luce. He was so much more than just the Tiger Cages guy, but that was certainly a cataclysmic event in his career in advocacy. So what was the result, politically, of the Tiger Cages expose? Here's Robert N. Strassfeld's... Strassfeld, I'm sorry. Here's Robert N. Strassfeld's American Innocence. Quote, the Saigon government promised to get rid of the tiger cages. However, the following year, the United States Department of the Navy contracted with a construction consortium to build 384 new isolation cells to replace the cages. Oh. 
These new cells were two square feet smaller, far less well-ventilated than the tiger cages they replaced. The funding for the cells came from the U.S. Food for Peace program, and the construction labor was provided by prisoners being paid 55 to 72 cents per week. Key components of the construction consortium are Brown and Root of the Halliburton subsidiary KBR. So, instead of getting rid of the tiger cages, the Navy contracted with KBR to build more. That's crazy. Don Luce would later interview prisoners kept in the new cages, who said that the new tiger cages were, quote, in every way worse than the former ones. So that's a neat introduction to today's episode, right? That's KBR. Very... Oh, you want us to get rid of slavery? Fine, we'll put them in prison instead. <laughs> <laughs> so, who's so wait, but you said that the original tiger cages were in like Saigon, like Vietnamese prisons. Mm-hmm. The thing so, about but- Vietnamese political prisons is they were often trained by U.S. like military forces to keep oh. their prison staff trained. Once they promised uh-huh. to get rid of the tiger cages. The U.S., who at the time was training those prison guards, they were like, we got some guys to build you some new ones. We, in fact, have Brown and Root. Brown and Root. Mm, Okay, okay, okay. I get the connection now. Of Mrs. Kellogg, Brown and Root. Kellogg, Brown and Root. So, who are these people, and who would be willing to build a smaller and worse cage to torture people they have nothing to do with? Who is this company? Uh-oh. Are you guys ready? <laughs> this is going to be a very long... It's Monsanto. <laughs> KBR has not always been Kellogg, Brown, and Root. For a decent chunk of its history, we're just talking about Brown and Root. Oh. Mr. Brown and Mrs. Roots. In Sounds... 1919, Brown and Root was founded by brothers George and Herman Brown and their brother-in-law, Dan Root. And brothers-in-law starting a business five feet apart because yeah, they're not what, gay. That's kind of why. Keeping it in the family. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's uh, both um, Brown and Root and Halliburton were started in the same year, 1919. The brothers-in-law did not have early success. Here's a quote from the Houston Chronicle about the company's early history. Quote, in 1929, Root died, the, start, the stock market crashed, and with the country heading into the Great Depression, state projects dried up. The brothers hauled trash for the city of Houston to make ends meet. Damn. I have absolutely no idea where this trash information came from, <laughs> <laughs> but I'm choosing to believe it because it's a very 1920s way of solving your problems. Yeah. <laughs> I think maybe I'll start doing that instead of Patreon.com. <laughs> Yeah, anyone got some trash that I can haul? <laughs> In further researching the early history of Brown and Root, I found a fantastic article from the Texas Observer that I'll be borrowing from greatly. Mm. The Texas Observer is a progressive nonprofit news outlet and print magazine covering the Lone Star State. Mm. I know, it's a huge slam. So, the only reason why Brown and Root made it past its trash era is because of the lucrative connection between the company and Lyndon B. Johnson. Uh-oh. The uh, at that point, con- Congressperson elect, future president of the United States. You do be Johnson. Wow. Fun fact: Herman Brown and Lyndon B. Johnson met on Grinder. <laughs> <laughs> Amy's shaking her head disapprovingly. <laughs> <laughs> you talking about the flour mill? <laughs> I'm actually talking about nothing because I could not find out how they initially met. (laughs) And I just decided to make something up. (laughs) Source, I made it up. (laughs) 
They made they made out at sidetrack. <laughs> On Ariana Grande night. <laughs> Wednesday, 2 a.m. <laughs> And they turned it into a very lucrative business yes, connection. In 1934, Brown and Root won a contract with some oil company to like lay down wooden boards or something in Roanoke, Louisiana. Two years later, they won the bid to build the what's now called the Mansfield Dam in northwest Austin, Texas. This mm. is how their relationship with Lyndon B. Johnson exploded. You do B. Johnson. <laughs> I like that this is the second time you said it, but it was quite <laughs> funny the first time. <laughs> Uh, So this is from the Texas Observer, and this is long, sorry, quote. It was 1937, and the project, the Mansfield Dam, was in limbo. Brown and Root was working on the dam, even though Congress had not approved the $10 million project. Even even worse, the project was illegal because the Bureau of Reclamation, which was overseeing the project, did not own the land on which the dam was being built. Hell yeah. Who owned it? But I actually have no idea. The Native Americans. Probably the The Native Americans. I would have The fish and the Native Americans. The bears. But Herman Brown pressed on. He had received $5 million, and he was betting that he could get the federal approval and funding needed to finish the project. But he needed Johnson, a then newly elected congressman, to get it. Johnson delivered. In July of 1937, with the backing of President Franklin Roosevelt... Why would you say that's so funny? Because <laughs> I'm hilarious. <laughs> ...who made it clear that he was doing it for Congressman Johnson, the authorization and funding was approved. So this is a really big deal in the company's history, mm. and they do not struggle for projects after this Mansfield Dam thing. Damn. And it was a direct... So they, oh, go for it. So they did a good job with the dam. Well, they actually then built the dam higher <laughs> and got even more money, which was a, it was a good thing that the dam was built higher because like it prevented some disaster. Uh, they, they profited something like $1.5 million from this. Mm. It took them a mm-hmm. long time. They went over budget, but they did get it done, and it was a good dam. You know there's another okay. word for a dam? <laughs> what is it? I don't want to say <laughs> Come on, fan of lesbians. You get to. <laughs> no, no, no. This is a trap. <laughs> Man, it's like when you told me I get to say all the words in rap songs. I'm not falling for that again. I thought it Christian, would be a after this, <laughs> Christian, after this, I have an insane would you rather for you. <laughs> <laughs> what, which racial slur would you like to say? <laughs> it's a part of it, but not all of it. Can I hear it on pod or are you saying a joke? Yes, yes, okay. yes. Um, Full disclosure, this came out of the beautiful brain of my friend Leah. Um, She turned to us one night and said, Would you rather every week, once a week for an entire year, go to a karaoke bar and sing Violent Crimes by Kanye West and and enunciate all the N-words in it? Okay. Or kill a horse? (laughs) (laughs) That is specifically really hard for you, I can tell. Uh, very much kill a horse. I think I wow. kill a horse a hundred percent. It's not because I'm woke. <laughs> it's because I believe I would have an easier time killing a horse than memorizing the lyrics to violent crimes. Yeah. That's also not like an insanely popular Kanye song. So. <laughs> <laughs> what a weird B side to pick. My tattoo artist just asked me, what's the biggest land animal you think you can take down <laughs> with a crude weapon? <laughs> and she, who was tattooing horses on my leg at the time, was like, horses, they're so easy to kill. They, their legs are brittle. <laughs> and if you know where to kill a horse, you can get it done pretty easily. 
So that's why, also, I'm saying I would rather kill a horse than yeah. do the thing you said. Real quick. The, the N-word will take some time. <laughs> <laughs> I have to do it every week for a year, get canceled on Twitter every single week. Yeah. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> well, you can choose where to go. That's true. I, I would rather not. <laughs> and again, it's not because I'm woke. Okay, Christian ally to the black community? <laughs> Enemy to horses? <laughs> so remember how much fun we had last episode ripping on Dick Cheney for his <laughs> obvious political connection to Halliburton? Yes. This practice long predates him, and with a Democrat no less, mm. before we had any transparency laws about campaign financing. Lyndon B. Johnson's relationship to KBR was one of the most shameless examples of corporate political mutual parasitism I can dream up. It's giving roly-poly tongue <laughs> on the fish. And this is like, the Texas Observer was reflecting on this because like this was 60 years prior to Dick Cheney being elected, who mm. is also in the pocket of Kellogg, Brown, and Root. History is just repeating itself over and over Classic. again. Mm-hmm. So Brown and Root would literally deliver gobs of cash, literal cash, to Lyndon B. Johnson, who would then in turn deliver gobs of federal projects, airports, pipelines, military bases, you name it. Brown and Root's funding was key to the 1948 Senate election in Texas, which we do not have time to go over, but was like such like. It was so brazenly stolen by mm. Mr. Landslide Linden himself. <laughs> it's like a tongue-in-cheek nickname. I thought they called him Landslide Linden because he was really good at winning stuff. No. <laughs> they called him Landslide Linden as a joke because he paid so many people off to win that fucking election. <laughs> it's like having a big bodyguard and calling him Tiny. <laughs> hey, Tiny over here. <laughs> Somebody get Tiny from the back. <laughs> Oh, Tiny? Oh, I can deal with Tiny. Uh. Uh, <laughs> Whoa! You called? <laughs> Amy did a great impression of Tiny just that was, now. That was good. She was big, making her shoulders so huge. <laughs> so... Uh, circling back, after the Mansfield Dam of 1937, Brown and Root went on to build warships during World War II. And at this point, this is a busted business bureau trope, right? Mm. Like, company does well because they contributed to war effort, Thanks. World War II. Lyndon B. Johnson became president in 1963, and he served until 1969. <laughs> good, good one. <laughs> and by 1969, per... Uh, this is a book I was referencing last episode. Per... <laughs> the gayest episode I think we've done. <laughs> per T. Christian Miller's book, Blood Money, that I linked last episode. It's also in the show notes. Uh, quote, by 1969, Brown and Root became the largest construction company in the nation with sales of $1.6 billion. Mm. They were also responsible. So, like Dick Cheney contracting Halliburton for so many oil services in Iraq and like basic food stuff, beds, whatever. That's exactly what Lyndon B. Johnson was doing with KBR in the 60s, like in the ramp up to the Vietnam War. Hmm. Right. It was like KBR built. I, I saw the figure somewhere and now I don't have it. It was some crazy percentage of just like all on the ground stuff in Vietnam. Which I realize is not a very factual way to say it, but they were a very large <laughs> part of it. I just can't remember where the fuck I wrote it down. So this is what bring us, brings us back to Vietnam. It's not entirely accurate to say that Brown and Root rebuilt the tiger cages. No. Instead, what the government had decided to do is form a construction consortium 
built of four different companies, and that was the entity responsible for all of the construction in Vietnam. Hmm. The entity was called Raymond International, Morrison, Nudson, Brown and Root, and J.A. Jones. <laughs> the joint venture was called RMKBRJ for short. Rolls right off the tongue, huh? <laughs> but just that's like the worst thing I've ever heard. If you're gonna come up with like an evil Avengers of construction companies, come up with a cool name for it. <laughs> at, at least call it like Hammer and yeah. Hammer and Nail Inc. Mm, hammer and Nail Inc. <laughs> but you can easily see which one of these companies contributes to the greater sum of the parts. Like how you can tell in Steven Universe which parts of Garnet are Ruby and Sapphire. Facts. You know, like Sapphire brings future to the table ruby brings the haircut yeah. <laughs> actually it's a pretty it's a lot of ruby and then like sapphire sunglasses <laughs> <laughs> and like chill demeanor yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'm sorry amy i know this is very isolating for you sorry you should watch the show <laughs> you should get a little bit more lgbt in you <laughs> yeah. and then watch steven universe steven universe if i was any gayer i would be having sex with women nope <laughs> You are, the, you are the gayest straight person that people know. <laughs> <laughs> Frequent source of humor. This is the third time I'm coming out as straight on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever watched Dragon Ball Z, Amy? <laughs> it's not even a gay no. show. They also do fusion in Dragon Ball Z. <laughs> yeah. They make Gogeta. I was like, where are you going? Fusion! <laughs> Yes, you can I'm... tell which part. So you can tell, even though like Brown and Root was not contracted to go build the tiger cages, it was like RMK BRJ. Um, you can tell that Brown and Root were the guys building the cages because they would later go on to build cages at Guantanamo Bay. Um, when you look at what all the other companies specialize in, none of them necessarily uh, specialize in construction materials the same way that Brown and Root does. It's just clear that they're the guys. How do you like have a? How do you brag about this on your resume? <laughs> <laughs> I built them so teeny <laughs> and so sturdy. Good lord! It's how do you, how do you sleep at night? Circling Seriously, back. Yeah. <laughs> so even in Vietnam, the company like Brown and Root specifically, not even the construction consortium, Brown and Root was subject to massive criticism from anti-war activists and overwhelming accusations of fraud from the government accountability office. Um, and once again, I'm going to read a quote from the same book, the blood money book mm. <clears throat> quote, the controversy even prompted a denunciation from a young Republican congressman from Illinois, an exact echo of the remarks that Democrats would later make about the same company 40 years later, quote, why this huge contract has not been and is not now being adequately audited is beyond me. He said the potential for waste and profiteering under such a contract is substantial. That congressman's name was Donald Rumsfeld. That, <gasps> okay, I'm glad the, the reveal was at least a gasp for someone. <laughs> the reveal. Donald Rumsfeld would later go on to be the Secretary of Defense and would say awful things about the uh, torture and abuse that went on during Abu Ghraib. Mm. Would go on to basically rubber stamp, I guess you could call it, KBR doing the same thing in Iraq that he criticized during Vietnam. Republicans. History is just it's like insane. It's just like repeating and just like yeah. flipping parties. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. like go for it, Amy. Like people come in when they're, you know, first elected, and I feel like they have that fire, and then after a while they just kind of like get, I don't know, you know, rolled up in 
the rest of their own party and like turn into such wusses who <laughs> don't care about people. Yeah. It, I feel like that's just what money does to you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's money and job security and isolation from your constituents. Mm. I was thinking about that earlier today. I have no idea why it came to my mind, but I was asking myself if I want to be rich. And I was like, I don't know. I feel like money has just made people worse. Yeah. You know, and also a lot of people have that phrase of like, money doesn't make you evil. It just makes you more of what you already are. And I don't know if I, I used to agree with that. And now I don't. I think actually mm. money actually just, it makes it so much easier to be the worst version of yourself. Mm. Uh, and then it's like hard to turn back because you don't have consequences or at least the consequences have less of an impact. So mm-hmm. you can just do what you want. You can park wherever the hell you want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it. it. <laughs> Seriously. A $200 towing fine. That's nothing. Nothing. That's nothing. Parking ticket. This is your spot? Psh, not anymore. <laughs> not for $200. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh, and I've written now in my script, fun distraction from Vietnam. <laughs> <laughs> the whole time we've been talking, I've not once mentioned the company's capacity to build nuclear power plants. Uh-oh. It is because they can't. <laughs> However, in 1972, they signed an agreement with the city of Austin to build a nuclear power God plant. Damn. <laughs> what could go wrong? This is the way that the three of us put together shows. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that should not be the go-to strategy for building something that could literally leave a crater in the earth. <laughs> I, I can't emphasize enough, they did not know how to build it. <laughs> Additionally, the project was reasonably slated to last quite a few years. One of those years was 1979 when the Three Mile Island accident happened, which was the new, the worst nuclear power plant accident in U.S. history, and it led to stricter regulations on the industry as a whole. Mm. Yeah, get it, whole? Just kidding. Because there's a hole in the ground. Get it whole. <laughs> Get it whole? <laughs> like showing hole? Because it's gay? The nuclear <laughs> power plant's gay? Gay? Make hole in earth. <laughs> Show earth on cam. Give earth bussy. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> so to make, a lo- to make a long motherfucking story K- K- short. KBR? K- K- Kellogg bussy? <laughs> <laughs> Amy, you're going through a tunnel right now. I don't, <laughs> I don't think we can hear you. <laughs> um, so to make a long story short, they did not wind up building the nuclear power plant. Instead, per the United Press International, quote, its cost estimate had nearly doubled from $2.7 billion to $4.8 billion. <laughs> The plant was begun in 1975, and Brown and Root said it could be completed in 1980. The first unit, however, is only 60% complete, and the HLP acknowledged Thursday that a realistic online date is now mid-1986. No. I think the article was written in, like, 1982. No. 1980 as well. No. So, it wound up that the city of Austin then hired Bechtel to clean up KBR's mess. There's no reason I'm saying that other than it's foreshadowing for two episodes from now. <laughs> <laughs> Allison? Funhole? Okay, literally, that's why I'm going to make an episode on Bechtel for that joke. (laughs) Keep it to yourself, Amy. We're getting there. (laughs) All right. But maybe it wasn't such a bad thing that KBR didn't finish this power plant. Mm. I'll read one last quote from the article. Last year, the Nuclear Regulatory Commission fined Brown and Root $100,000 for faulty quality control. That's nothing. It's nothing, but also, you don't want faulty quality control in a nuclear power plant, in my opinion. 
<laughs> yeah, that, I, that is a good opinion to have, I think. I was cracking up writing that line. I literally wrote, you do not want faulty quality control in a nuclear power plant, they in got, my opinion. <laughs> they got Homer Simpson up in there. <laughs> also, quote, some job foremen on the project have also been charged with attempting to divert inspections from NRC examiners. <laughs> Oops. What do you mean? Like, oh, let me show a little leg. (laughs) No, don't look in that door. (laughs) Look in this door, showing a hole. I'm sorry. (laughs) Showing a hole. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know or care if Lyndon B. Johnson had anything to do with them getting this contract in the first place. Um, It's just extremely funny that they're literally biologically incapable of getting a contract and not doing a hilarious amount of, like, waste, fraud, and abuse. (laughs) Yeah. It's kind of a huge slide. It's hard to turn down the opportunity. It's it is. It is. They love money. They're it's just kind of the hubris of man. You know, <laughs> we could build a nuclear power plant. <laughs> Easy. Uh next I have It's the it's the same bravado that men are like, oh yeah, I could like climb Mount Kilimanjaro or whatever. Yeah, I don't need a, a mountain person to help me. No. <laughs> yeah, and then they end up making and then they end up like dying. It's the hubris of Chris Dritty breaking a keyboard on stage. (laughs) (laughs) Enemy of the pod, Chris. (laughs) Enemy of the pod. (laughs) An honor and a privilege, honestly. I know the first and only one. (laughs) I have so few enemies. It's crazy. I regret to inform. Oh, next, next I have KBR in the Balkans, mm. and what I wrote is I regret to inform listeners that when people have said the Balkans to me leading up to about four days ago, I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> I only like just now found out that it meant southeastern Europe. <laughs> oh damn! It's a mountain range, right? It is also a mountain range, but like that's why people call it like the Balkan region. Yeah, is because yeah, it's around the same that. way that. Yeah, the same way that the Pacific Northwest is also in hippie circles referred to as Cascadia. Oh, yeah. The geographical area surrounding the Cascade Mountains. I'd always heard the phrase the Balkans. But I was like, I don't know what that means, and I'll never go. So <laughs> I was always like, it's it's not about me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting my white ass down and listening. Yeah, I don't need to understand it to respect it. So. <laughs> One time in the group chat, my friend Leah, who also came up with that, would you rather responded to a message um, that was sent in the group chat by saying, ha ha, clap those white hands. <laughs> Leah is so camp. <laughs> Leah's giving. <laughs> A friend Everyone of- in the group chat other than me is white. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, brag about I'll, being the only non-white person in the group make, chat. I was like a really bad joke. <laughs> it's not really a brag. It's more to illustrate the point of how person. funny clap your white hands is. Because that just is a veiled way of saying, Amy, be quiet. Damn. <laughs> well, those, those, one of those white people silence you like that. Yeah, new enemy of the pod, Leah. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I clap reacted. <laughs> <laughs> Did you use white hands? I just used whatever default. I think it's still the emoji yellow. Mm. Okay, I, mean, I need you to be a little bit of a race trader. Yeah. And by race trader, I mean their race. Betray, <laughs> betray whites. Yeah, betray their, yeah. <laughs> so, in Southeastern Europe, the company acquires several oil construction-related projects. I'm sorry, that is a misread. Yeah. The company acquires several oil construction-related projects in Iraq in the 90s, which we will discuss later. Mm. Concurrent with those developments were assignments from the U.S. to build bases in the Balkans. This includes things like offices, latrines, bedrooms, what have you. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that the U.S. had a presence in the Balkans. Yes, we do. Yes, we We did in the 90s. We have a presence everywhere. Yes, we do everywhere. (laughs) 
Okay. So the Government Accountability Office notably conducted several investigations into the inevitable rampant waste, fraud, and abuse. Mm. Their report, which is like 86 pages, reads in part, quote, oh wait, no, I'm sorry. This is not the 86-page report. I was misquoting that. This is just a report. Quote, because military personnel serve in the Balkans on a rotational basis for an average of six months, there is little institutional memory on the part of the DOD personnel as to why services are provided at their current levels. Incoming Mm. military personnel simply accept existing levels. DOD officials with whom we met in the Balkans told us that they could not explain the frequency of the services being provided, such as cleaning some offices as many as four times a day, cleaning latrines three times a day, conducting routine construction and maintenance activities 24 hours a day. (laughs) Let me explain this quote. As explained in the previous episode, this was on a cost plus arrangement, which is such mm-hmm. that the government will pr- they'll promise KBR, let's say, $100 to staff the office with a cleaner. But if there's mm-hmm. a tornado or something that, like, makes the person have to clean the office overtime, the government will allot more money to KBR with a guarantee of a 1% profit, no matter how much money winds up being spent on the project. So this is money laundering. So it is. It's not necessarily laundering. It just invites KBR to be like, oh, my God, the offices were so hard to clean. We had to clean them three times today. So instead of $100 for it, can we have 300 And so 1% of 100 is a dollar profit. 1% of 300 is $3. So in- and so the more that they can bill, the more that they can make because of that 1% guarantee. Mm-hmm. And the government has, like just doesn't have the authority or the bandwidth to audit. It's that the auditing is, yes, incorrect, incomplete, and infrequent. So it's the ancestor of money laundering, which is just lying. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so few steps. (laughs) You know, like money laundering, it requires a separate building Mm. and a laundry machine. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason... (laughs) That's (laughs) right. That was, that was really good. I'm thrilled. That was an improv. <laughs> hey, guys, let's do an improv. <laughs> and, I'm no. sorry, Amy, continue. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> she said no. <laughs> Amy, were you asking a question Amy, about auditing? Yeah, well, <laughs> and so the reason that the auditing, like, didn't happen sooner is both because, like, the government just very is, isn't very good at auditing but also because of the rotational nature of the people who are there, there were less people to like raise the alarm about, Hey, Mm. um, my bathroom is too clean. (laughs) It's frighteningly clean. I was taking a shit and they came in right when I was done. (laughs) I pooped into someone's hands and said, thank you. (laughs) The germs in the Balkans, they were afraid. So, yes, Amy, that's correct. And the report continues about the um, inadequate training for the people who are approving the projects on site. Quote, the use of a cost reimbursement performance-based contract in the Balkans also requires contracting personnel who are accustomed to monitoring fixed-price contracts. Mm. The camp mayor at the main base camp in Bosnia in May 2000 was an artillery officer with no contracting background. He said he received no training on his responsibilities as mayor or how to carry them out. So what? So like to your point, there is nobody who's going to even raise the flag that they're cleaning the latrines three times a day because they have no idea they're not supposed to. Right. So that's also part of the problem is nobody's raising a flag to the government accountability office to even audit in the first place. 
That's nuts. So mind you, the main appeal of private contractors that I like read over and over again is that they free up our soldiers to do soldiering. You know, like we don't need soldiers cleaning the latrines. We should just hire Mm -hmm. someone else to do it for less money. Um, Mm -hmm. But that's not so. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. remember, our taxes are funding these people cleaning the latrine three times a day. It's not like this money's coming from nowhere. It's coming from you. Yeah. Right. So and also the guy in charge of saying yes, please clean the latrines three times a day is an artillery officer who clearly does not have any artillery to tend to. No, he does not, because like there's no, you know, he's not shooting anyone in Bosnia in May of two thousand. <laughs> so, yeah, like we are the ones paying for it. Why am I paying for them to clean the latrine three times a day? Stupid. So Brown and Root gets to comment back on this report, which was awesome to read. It was very much a sleigh. <laughs> Um, Most of what their comments boil down to are the government told us to be ready for like, you know, all of our power generators to go out. So that's why we have seven of them, which is just an example. It's not like the real number or like Mm -hmm. they told us to be ready, like on the go with this many meals. And so that's why there's this much waste. Hmm. Um, Hmm. And in the end, the project manager writes, quote, finally. Having been the project general manager responsible for supporting nine of these types of deployments, I am convinced that contractor support is vital and absolutely necessary. I've also come to understand that contingency operations are by definition expensive. Without Brown and Root, they would be even more so. <laughs> and then he says, XOXO. Is that true? No. <laughs> He's I just pissed. That's just a lie. Yeah, no, he was just furious. Like, he clearly he was fuming, <laughs> like, typing all this out. <laughs> So, yeah, this is like um, Joe Biden's goodbye note to Henry Kissinger. Oh, say more on it. I don't know what you're talking about. He just posted it on the White House Instagram. Well, I say he, like he would know how to operate Instagram. <laughs> he does his not know what social, Instagram is. <laughs> I know. His social media person posted it on Instagram, and it was very, um, it was very funny. <laughs> just because, like, it was the, uh, the definition of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I'm sure, right, like so many people on the left hated Henry Kissinger. You can't say mm-hmm. anything nice about the guy, you know, You're gonna, mm-hmm. especially on social media. You know, I'm sure he's saying nice things. He'll say nice things at the funeral if that hasn't already happened. I have no idea. Um, anyways, fuck Henry Kissinger. <laughs> Rest in piss. <laughs> so, uh, two... James McKnight is the guy whose quote I just read. To his point, you could perhaps make the argument, okay, Brown and Root is a busted business, but it's just a busted business because the U.S. Army is busted. Hmm. You know, like, mm-hmm. all they're doing is following orders. That's not their fault. Hmm. Which I, I don't know. I wouldn't make that argument, but, you know, some I would. would. <laughs> I'm just making up a guy to be mad at, if we're being so real, <laughs> just for the sake of my script. Um so you might say, well, they have so much other construction project history that's not problematic. Why don't you talk about that? Um, so let's let's now do that. Uh-oh. Buried. Uh, I was about to pivot to Iraq, you know, like it would have been a nice springboard because mm-hmm. they were in Bosnia in the 90s or whatever. Um, but buried 26 paragraphs into a Bloomberg article about KBR's presence in Iraq. 26 paragraphs? It's a gift. How long was this article? It was very... Everything I read for this fucking podcast is longer than that. Uh, This is a quote from 2003 from this Bloomberg article. Quote, military contracting now, 2003, accounts for only about 20% of KBR's revenues, which is unfortunate for shareholders since this business is the best thing that this beleaguered unit has going for it. Oh. Over the past 12 months, 
KBR has incurred operating losses of $675 million on revenues of one of $6.1 billion. The company is so weighed down by asbestos-related liabilities incurred by its construction business that it plans to file for Chapter 11 bankruptcy in the fall no. to settle pending personal injury claims. KBR's oh. government contracting unit will not be included in the Chapter 11 filing. What? <laughs> so I read that and I thought, as somebody who basically has KBR's Wikipedia page like memorized like a monologue, I have no idea what asbestos-related lawsuits they're talking about. Hmm. Because later on, we'll talk about this um, in the next episode. Sorry, spoiler, this, this is going to be a two-parter. Fuck you. Spoiler. Um, so in Iraq, they basically light a bunch of trash on fire near a bunch of soldiers all the time. They get exposed to toxic chemicals. Those are a lot of like related lawsuits that happened after 2008. But this article is from 2003. So I was like, mm-hmm. what asbestos-related lawsuits are they talking about? Because it sounds like it's also outside of the military part of KBR. Very astute. Yes, it is. Which is also what doesn't appear, like, in any of the, like, basic overviews of the company that I'd read. So right, was, because the most public stuff has all been in the military branch. And so it's kind of like the iceberg, where we see the top bit that's, like, all military bad. But then on the bottom is a lot of, like historic asbestos bad yes and amy you are right we are in sync because this put me down on a tangent too long and too unrelated to put fully on the pod but basically tons of construction companies not even just brown and root have been aware Mm -hmm. since the 40s that asbestos exposure causes mesothelioma a devastating cancer that can impact your lungs your heart and i guess even in some cases your testicles I did not know that. Until did we learn about oh my that god, like pod? Nikki's cousin in Trinidad. <laughs> like Nikki's cousin in Trinidad, shut up! Pink Friday 2 in stores now. <laughs> that is such a deep cut. That it is just for homosexuals, <laughs> which that's, is why Amy's the queen of them. That's really good. <laughs> so... I don't think he had mesothelioma, though, because that no. tweet was no. about the COVID. It was about the COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was like, clearly, it was like... Yeah, your dude just has an STI or something. <laughs> Source, I made it up. <laughs> As you recall, the majority of Brown and Root's company a- origins involved construction, just like plain Jane construction. Plenty yeah, like of dams and nuclear power plants. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but the stuff that isn't that, you know, like just all the rest yeah, of what yeah, they do yeah. is just construction. Um, yeah. But Roads, plenty, buildings, I'm sure. plenty of construction materials, turbines, pumps, gas compressors, etc., contain asbestos and expose both the workers building them and the people who use the product. So mm-hmm. when Halliburton acquired Brown and Root in the 60s, it was a ticking clock before Halliburton would become financially responsible for the pending lawsuits from oh. all of these people who discovered they had mesothelioma because of, you know, the fucking asbestos. It's like when Bayer acquired Monsanto in 2015. I know. Yeah. It's a throwback. Uh-oh. Monsanto knew about all these lawsuits that were coming up because of Roundup, but just like didn't say anything to Bayer. <laughs> so Bayer acquires Monsanto and has to foot the bill, so to speak, on all these personal injury claims. It's the same yeah. thing. So Halliburton. It's like buying a jank house. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. When Halliburton acquired Brown and Root and another company called Dresser, which is now D2, who cares? They wound up having to create a trust fund for asbestos victims. This came with a price tag of $5 billion, which is 60 million company shares and $2.8 billion in cash, according to mesothelioma.com. How much is that in relation to the total value of the company? That is such a good question. Like, I, I don't know the scale. Is it, because, like, you're telling me that these contracts in the Balkans are, like, billions of dollars as well. 
So I don't know if like to this company or to Halliburton, if this is a lot of money or not. Well, it was enough for KBR to have to file Chapter 11 bankruptcy for the units that were non-military. So definitely big. I do not know numerically. Yeah. Is that good enough for you, Amy? (laughs) Well, that makes sense because if they were acquired by Halliburton, then it makes sense that Halliburton wouldn't be affected by this too much. But that the KBR branch would be affected because, like, they're the little circle that, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. I'm the problem there. circle. Yes. <laughs> like a room in a house that's really jank. The rest of the house might be fine, but the that specific room mm-hmm. is fucked. Facts. It's the masturbation room. Mm. It's smelly. <laughs> ass. Putting the ass in asbestos. <laughs> Even their, quote, non-problematic construction sector is fucking busted, like, from the start. The asbestos thing is crazy. When I was doing research trying to understand the history of mesothelioma lawsuits, it read exactly like everything I understand about the tobacco industry. Or, like, Mm -hmm. oil and gas, you know? Executives Mm -hmm. have known since basically the fucking 40s that this thing is going to cause cancer or some other kind of disaster. Mm -hmm. But they just don't care. (laughs) Yeah, because it was so useful and so cheap. There's something called, like, the Summer Simpson Papers. I encourage you to go read that. It, again, too long for this podcast. Homer Simpson. <laughs> so I, I wonder if any CEOs in the 50s had a, like, are we the baddies moment? Because surely they all talked, you know? They were like, damn, like, fossil fuels are bad, tobacco's <laughs> bad, asbestos is bad. What are we, we the baddies? Are we the baddies? So my le- my next section I have is called KBR and Hurricane Katrina. Jesus Christ. <laughs> at this point while I was researching, I realized I was already at well over 20 pages. Are these like the super villains of the world? They have their hands <laughs> in every basket. <laughs> they actually made Hurricane Katrina. Did you know that? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> they Don't tell Lil up. Wayne. Lil Wayne will kill them. <laughs> So we're not even halfway through the notes on KBR. So again, this is going to be a two-parter. Go fuck yourself. Um, In the words of Dick Cheney, go fuck yourself. (laughs) So uh, this is the last situation I'll be telling you about before we conclude. In the words of Dick Cheney, who do you think you are? I am. (laughs) In the words of Dick Cheney, you can't truth the handle. In the words of Dick Cheney, sashay away. (laughs) (laughs) Don't be shy, Amy. Laugh into the microphone. No. In the words of Dick Cheney, welcome to Bus's Business Bureau. (laughs) Where we put the bus back in business. Sucking, funkin', and (laughs) debunkin'. Rootin'. Tootin'. Halliburton. <laughs> this podcast is unlistenable. Why do you why do you even listen to this? I can't imagine anyone listening to this and having like this is like laughing for two minutes straight. <laughs> that one reviewer who left like a three st- uh, three stars, which was very pleasant. Yeah. Being like the laughing is unbearable. <laughs> they were so right. <laughs> Okay, then don't bear it. Don't bear it. Don't listen, Mama. Mm. <laughs> yeah, go make like a rat and shoe. <laughs> what? <laughs> go make like an Adidas and shoe. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I'm sorry. Amy's all face. Yeah, Amy did not laugh. 
So, Hurricane Katrina. <clears throat> Long story short, in the aftermath. Katrina, Katrina, Katrina. <laughs> in the aftermath, which is very lengthy, dense, and political f- to tangent into, the Navy <sighs> awarded a cost plus award free indefinite delivery, indefinite quantity contract with for $500 million over a five year period to KBR on July 26, 2004. Mm. It, to help with rehabilitation efforts? Yes. To, uh, not okay. rehabilitation with construction construction efforts which oh, i guess is rehabilitation right. of the city but yeah okay yeah. yeah um okay and much like we were talking about log cap last episode uh which is the military contract this is called con cap which is just the same mm. thing is just called it's yeah. from the navy and it's called con cap uh instead of narrativizing it or telling you the full story of how it played out i'm just gonna read you from a fucking audit conducted by the government Hell analyzing yeah. how much they fucking sucked uh cue the circus music casey quote Dry in and dry out teams. Part of what they had to do was like dry out carpet and like take out carpet from just houses, government buildings, whatever. Dry in and dry out teams had their problems in the first two weeks, including showing up at the wrong place or time, missing escorts needed to take teams through buildings, teams being turned away at gates because of improper identification, etc. Additionally, KBR had initially uh, had difficulty providing enough roof- roofers to make as needed repairs. Dry out was exceedingly substandard. Devastating in the audit. Exceedingly substandard. I fear. (laughs) Based on the 12-hour days that each employee was expected to work, we calculate that KBR paid $540 a month per employee for each employee to have a cell phone while repairing the damaged roofs. (laughs) Redacted subcontractor, this is a heavily um, redacted audit. Redacted subcontractor charged $720 a month per employee to pay for additional gas it was expected to use during the performance of the work, despite KBR promising to provide fuel for all trucks and transportation. So KBR said, we'll provide all the fuel, don't worry. And then their subcontractor was like, just kidding, it's $720 per employee per month. So as you can imagine, this is going through exponential cost overruns to rebuild the city of New Orleans, Louisiana. They were also assigned to Florida in the wake of Hurricane Ivan, which I think was months earlier or maybe a year. I can't remember. Mm. Um, So this next quote has to do with Hurricane Ivan in Florida. Quote, two of the roofing companies hired by KBR also used their labor rates to recoup anticipated one-time non-recurring costs. As stated above... Redacted contractor, vice president, developed its rate based on personnel mobilizing from San Antonio to perform the work in Florida. However, that never happened. Instead, the company found people already in Florida who could perform (gasps) the work. Thus, that portion of its rate converted to additional profit for the company. Oh, Oh my God. (laughs) So. They said, yeah, we have to fly in my friend from out of town. She's mm -hmm. the only person that can do it. And then the friend from out of town lived next door. Yep, that's exactly what happened. Mm. And then the comp- the company additionally profited from it. Uh, another one, <clears throat> quote, KBR purchased 227,500 meals and served only 113,654 of them because what? the personnel located in the area had other food service options. According to a representative, the excess meals were discarded because they could <gasps> not be stored at the temperature prescribed by food safety guidelines. No. We also found that the prices KBR agreed to pay were greatly inflated. The Navy paid approximately redacted for meals and services that we calculate should have cost 1.7 million not redacted so we have no idea how much they overpaid for the meals but it was something crazy 
Oh my god. Imagine being so embarrassed that you have to cover your ass like that. Yeah. Because <laughs> that, be- that number is, like, no, like no counterintelligence can be done from that number. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no reason to keep it secret other than the fact that, oh my it's god, humiliating. that's so embarrassing. <laughs> Mama, I'm so embarrassed. I'm literally looking down. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking away through the black square. <laughs> this is their Jack Nicholson moment. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you can imagine, massive cost overruns, again taxpayer funded, that wound up for over a hundred thousand meals to end up in the fucking garbage. Like, that's how we dealt with Hurricane Katrina, in part. Literally where people needed that food. Mm-hmm. And it's in the trash. For listeners who are going in order, I want to once again say. Point of view, your bunny greenhouse, and on your desk lands a no-bid emergency contract for at least two years and up to five years for over $7 billion worth of services in Iraq, exclusively given to Kellogg, Brown, and Root. Subtracting the Hurricane Katrina knowledge off of this, um, how on earth are you supposed to say yes to that? (laughs) I even left a bunch of stuff out about how bad they were in Vietnam. Like, how do you get this? And you're like, yeah, that sounds good to me. Um, so I want to end this episode with another quote from Mark Ashwell, who we were reading earlier, reflecting on the incredible life of Don Luce. Presently, the tiger cages of Vietnam are a solemn tourist destination of sorts. It's a stunning island with incredible natural beauty, with many folks quietly paying their respects to old friends, fellow prisoners, people they used to fight with, etc. And remember, this prison complex was built by the French, predating anyone still alive to pay respect to it, right? So Mark Ashwell describes it like this. <clears throat> Vietnamese come from far and wide, not just to enjoy the breathtaking views of the sea, fresh seafood, and invigorating walks around the pristine beaches, but also to participate in a solemn pilgrimage to dark places that are a legacy of French and U.S. brutality. They are a stark testament to the supreme arrogance of one fading colonial power that handed the blood-stained baton to an ascending neo-colonial power— both convinced they had the right to determine the destiny of a country not their own. Speaking of colonial power determining the destiny of a country not their own, we have not even gotten to Iraq yet, <clears throat> which is where we are going in the next episode. That's right. So we're not even halfway through the notes. Fuck it. Part two. That's all I have of part one. Part two. So how do we feel? <laughs> That's the history of KBR before Iraq. <laughs> I'm uh, very impressed by how evil they are. Yeah, this is giving me a lot of perspective on the bunny greenhouse story you told last episode, Mm -hmm. because there's no way that somebody who works in government contracting and, like, is in this world is unaware of the reputation that this company has. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just no way. Yeah. And so, like, yeah, it it makes sense that she did what she did, and it doesn't make any sense why it is the way that it is. (laughs) Except for their consistent revolving door of politicians starting with Lyndon B. Johnson and just ascending with Dick Cheney like yeah grandfathered in yeah they were truly grandfathered into the service and that's why Halliburton and in a way KBR became the Amazon of military contracting because Mm -hmm. they've been doing this since the fucking 40s and they've been Mm -hmm. you know just in people's pockets yeah it's like the weird it's like your weird uncle that always comes to Thanksgiving and you wish he wouldn't but he has to because your grandma will throw fit otherwise (laughs) (laughs) he's got a lot of opinions and he will say them (laughs) so 
How are you feeling? You too? Um, uh, bummed. <laughs> <laughs> Not good in <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. This is I'm my interested first, to yeah. see. Hmm? This is my first time hearing about tiger cages and it's like, man, it's like tiger cages, internment camps, uh, slave ships. Just like the way that we have just treated people throughout history is so sad. Yeah. What colonialism has done to people's minds mm. and like the way you can just so easily it seems dehumanize another yeah. person and just believe that they are worthy of that treatment it's weird idea or to believe that they're not a person at all yeah. rather or to know like it is well known by both the prisoners and the prison guards that a lot of the people were there like there's one pretty famous example of just a student who didn't salute the Vietnamese flag who was like she was like 18 years old or something and got thrown in this prison for a year went through even more horrific and brutal treatment that I did not mention and like lived to tell the tale like for something so fucking trivial. That's crazy. But also in such a condition where you're, you know, getting all of your land defoliated, you have no food, no water. And like this evil government of sorts is promising you stability, security against the growing list of sanctions or whatever in your country. Yeah. Like, I would assume also the prison guards joined out of desperation. Mm. Some of them, you know, some of them are fucking evil. But yeah. you know what I mean? Like everybody mm-hmm. involved, it's because of what is going on. Yeah. Like colonially. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to edit that into the Bunch of Business Girl theme song. <laughs> Any final Yeah, the shit's gnarly. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um... Any final concluding thoughts before we get out of here? (laughs) (laughs) Amy, thank you so much for joining the pod from afar. Happy to. I'll be back. Fluid, thanks for joining from Jafar. Hey. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know. (laughs) Jaclose. From (laughs) Jaclose. And I will see you two next episode. Woo-hoo. To continue about KBR's presence in Iraq. You want to plug your Christmas tour? Oh, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Well, okay, I'm not plugging it, but there might be a delay in episodes around December because I'm going on tour with my dueling pianos partner. Ooh. Yeah, I know. We're going to go on the East Coast. We're going to play dueling pianos in a bunch of places. Are you going to do, uh, I'm trying to think of my favorite Christmas song. Ooh. What's that one by Paul McCartney? Simply. Yeah, you gonna do that one? We're gonna do a, a whole Beatles mashup. Okay, yeah. I'm gonna reveal it on pod. Okay. I'm gonna be like, I think Paul wrote the best uh, post Beatles Christmas solo song. Mm. I'm gonna start playing that. He's gonna go into um, War is Over. Okay. So they say it's Christmas. Everybody's gonna be like, no, you know what the best one is? It's not, it's a Beatles song, Ringo's song, Octopus's Garden. And then just play Octopus's Garden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be so stupid, but they're gonna love it. People are gonna eat it up. Yeah, yeah. The, the demographic we're gonna go play for is going to eat it up. <laughs> Shout out to Don Luce. Shout out to Don Luce. I know you wanted to say that earlier, and I'm glad you did. I'm Amy. I'm pointing at you emphatically. Shout out to Don Luce. Shout out to Don. It is a like a historical figure that I wish had more attention. His Wikipedia page is very sparse, mm. um, but he was a fascinating man to read about. Someone who sincerely cared about the people of Vietnam and like you know, made friends, integrated into the communities he was there to, like, serve and be with, mm-hmm. and dedicated his life to advocating for their rights. Yeah. Oh, God, what a great guy. Shantae, he stays. Shantae, he stays! 
I wish I saw him more. Like, you know, I, I walk down the um I walk down Halstead every day and I see very relevant historical gay figures and I just hope he can be included in the canon yeah. of just like, you know, historical gay figures. Off topic, but he hot? Did. Uh I would say so. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So off topic, but you did mention the, the name Halliburton, in which there's a basketball player named Tyrese Halliburton for the Indiana Pacers, doing a really good job. He just lost the tournament, but hey, Indiana, we lose sometimes. <laughs> Indiana, we lose. <laughs> <laughs> we try our best, goddammit. Shout out. <laughs> All right, well, that's been Busted Business Bureau. Uh, if you like it, you know, uh, please follow me on social media and spread the word. I, I really like when people leave reviews uh, and tell their friends about it. It's very kind, mm. and it seems like people are doing that, and thank you for doing it. Uh, oh, the Chicago Reader Awards? Fuck, man, yeah. Mm. I got nominated for another Chicago Reader Award. Put which, them votes in. Last year, I don't think voting's open. Maybe uh. it'll be open by the time this episode comes out. Who knows? Um, last year, I campaigned heavily to even be nominated because like, it's a popular contest to be nominated. This year, I put up one Instagram story, just like not really caring if I got nominated or not. Mm. And mama, I'm nominated. That's right. And I saw other people I campaigning know, right. who did not get nominated, which meant even more to me Ooh. to beat someone. <laughs> Oops, cool. And she didn't even try. And she didn't even try. But this year I'm going to try to win. I do not want to lose to CityCast Chicago again because it's not even a Chicago podcast. Facts. They have one in Detroit. They have one in, I think, New York City. Mm-hmm. They Like, CityCast is a, a It's na- a machine. It's a machine. And I'm an independent podcast. That's right. So I, I'll Mom put it. Mom and Pop podcast. <laughs> I want to put it in the show notes. I think this, starting December 13th, you can vote for Busted Business Bureau for Chicago Reader Award. Mama, I'm the winning it this time. Podcast. The People's Podcast. <laughs> the Niggas Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> okay, also, I am black. I just need to make sure. for a year. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fuck it. I'm turning this off. Goodbye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.